Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines Recovery. I'm Jay Lynn, and I'll be your host. This is episode 28 of the podcast, and this week I'll be talking about my experience in therapy. And then I'll wrap it up by reading a short chapter of my book about the important and meaningful relationship I have had with my therapist for the past 9 or 10 years. But first, some minor housekeeping. I'd like to give some shout-outs to the BTL listeners in a couple of U.S. cities. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Brooklyn, New York, and Sublimity, Oregon. Oregon? Oregon. Oregon. I go with Oregon. What a great name for a place. I think I need to visit Sublimity very soon and see what that's all about. So, thanks for listening in uh, Brooklyn and Sublimity. I hope you keep coming back. And speaking of coming back... Please remember to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines Recovery on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcasts. It only takes a few seconds to scroll down and click those five stars, and we could really use your help. The more people who rate the podcast, the more often it pops up in searches. You know how it goes. Last week, in fact... Between the Lines Recovery got a new review on Apple Podcasts, and I thought I'd share it with you today. Larry51 wrote, This podcast is really amazing for those who are either in recovery or who are close to someone with an addiction. It features a lot of unique perspectives, and I find value in every episode. I also bought the book on Amazon and have found even more wonderful lessons there. Well, thank you very much, Larry51, for listening and for buying my book. I appreciate you. If you want to do a little something extra to help support my mission to destigmatize addiction and to spread kindness, positivity, and hope, please click the Support the Podcast link at the end of the episode notes. Just scroll down past the description of the episode and give it a click. It gives you the opportunity to help me maintain the quality and consistency of the podcast by making a small monthly contribution, like super duper small, three different options, 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, or 9.99 a month. Just decide how much you think it's worth. I know you have a number in your head. Seriously though, I know times are tough, and the struggle is real. Believe me, I can feel it. But a few more contributions from those of you who can swing it without breaking the bank will really help Between the Lines Recovery continue on its current trajectory. So. Thank you in advance to anyone who finds it in their heart to part with some of their hard-earned money to help us out. And I won't judge you if you don't. How could I? I've been listening to NPR for free for the last 30 or so years. I know I'm kind of ashamed of that. probably needs to change. But more important than anything else, thank you all for listening today. All right, let's get into it. This is the good news. The Good News is brought to you by OnStage, a theater outreach and audience development program that works in collaboration with several colleges in and around the equally beautiful cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. OnStage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions about relevant social, political, and cultural topics that happen to bubble up in plays that are currently running in local theaters. What a great and worthwhile mission it is. To learn more about OnStage or to make a donation to the cause, check them out at OnStageMN.org. That's OnStageMN.org. The good news story this week comes from the city Carl Sandburg once called the hog butcher for the world, 
tool maker, stacker of wheat, player with railroads, and the nation's freight handler, stormy, husky, brawling, city of the big shoulders. That's right. This week's good news is from Chicago, where one of my fellow former Chicago public school teachers, Brandon Johnson, was elected as Chicago's new mayor. I remain optimistic about the future of this great city. And that was the good news. So my introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy came during my sometimes tumultuous adolescence. It was not my idea, and I certainly resisted it with all of my might, mostly because it was something my parents wanted me to do. I remember several unsuccessful trial sessions with different therapists in my hometown. I can recall one especially unproductive session in an uncomfortably hot attic office above some well-intentioned therapist's home. After a few of these trial sessions, I decided to just zip my lip and sit mute as the therapists tried desperately to find an inroad, much like uh, Matt Damon's character did with the therapist played by Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, one of the greatest movies of all time. After two or three of these silent sessions with one very patient therapist, I finally decided to talk. I remember staring at the digital clock in his office that day, and it seemed like the numbers weren't changing anymore. And the therapist hadn't asked me a single question. So I just started talking. I remember talking about some dream I had in which I won the lottery and didn't know what to do with the winnings. Uh, Thinking about it now, I think I, I think I know what that dream means. And uh, that was the beginning of a three or four year relationship with Walt. And I remain extremely grateful for all of Walt's support and guidance during that time of my life. Eventually, I looked forward to my sessions with Walt. And although he did not have the antidote to, for my uh, debilitating penchant for making impulsive and irresponsible decisions back then, nor did he have a cure for my unmatched ability to be a total dick to my teachers and uh, most of all to my parents. Um, but he did have the ability to open the door, um, open my mind to some self-reflection that ended up being the impetus for some much needed emotional and intellectual growth um, that eventually helped me get my life back on track a couple years later. Uh, after I left for college and uh, stopped seeing Walt on a regular basis. Looking back now, I think it's safe to say that Walt may have actually saved my life, and I will never forget it. And I didn't see another therapist for the next 20 years. I was doing pretty well most of the time. But then my dad got sick, and my addiction was killing me. And it was all a big secret, and you know, I was dying on the inside and trying to put a happy face on the outside, go to work and be a dad, be a husband, be a son, friend. Uh, and I was in desperate need for another Walt. In fact, <laughs> I had thought about looking Walt up and seeing if he was still in business. But I remember him being about 60 when I saw him last, so I figured he was probably playing golf or 
fishing with his grandkids and no longer seeing patients. So instead, I asked around for some recommendations, and I ended up with Dr. A. And eventually, Dr. A became the second therapist to save my life, or at least help me save my own life. When I first walked into his office almost 10 years ago now, I was in the midst of a terrible crisis, and things were about to get much, much worse. Again, much like Walt, Dr. A couldn't stop the storm that was coming my way, but with his support and gentle guidance, I did manage to protect my vital organs long enough for the storm to pass. And since then, Dr. A has helped me find a level of health, happiness, and purpose that I didn't think I would ever feel again. And although I feel confident in my recovery these days, I do know that I still have so much to learn from Dr. A. For many addicts and alcoholics, going to rehab and working a program is enough to give them hope for a new life. But I know I'm not alone in my belief that one-on-one -on -one therapy makes all the difference in the world when it comes to our long-term recovery. These days, I look forward to my weekly sessions with Dr. A the same way I used to look forward to a 90s playoff game between the Bulls and the Knicks. And if you knew me back then, you would understand what a big deal it is for me to say that. Needless to say, the day I came up with the premise of my book to acknowledge and honor the many important people who I learned from as I struggled to bounce back from a very dark rock bottom into a healthy recovery and new life, I knew I would include a chapter about Dr. A. In fact, my book opens with a chapter about my dad, but Dr. A is chapter two. And I'm going to read it for you right now. So here it goes. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 2, Dr. A, my therapist. There's no doubt that denial is an important roadblock for addicts, especially in the early stages of their addiction. But I've been through a 12-step program for compulsive gambling 10 years before any of this, and I was well aware of the undeniable and devastating symptoms of addiction. I would deny it to anyone else, of course, but deep inside, I knew I was killing myself. I'd known that for some time. I knew I was an addict and that I couldn't get better without help. I was almost 40 years old and my dad was dying. Things were getting really bad for the first time in my life. I'd begun using cocaine before work, at work, and at home when my family was asleep. And I was getting almost no sleep at all. I was pilfering money from the joint account that my wife and I shared. And I was taking countless payday loans in order to fund my frequent binges and vendors. And on top of that, I always seemed to owe my dealer hundreds of dollars. As I felt the walls closing in on me, I only doubled down. If you didn't know better, you'd think I was trying to kill myself in some kind of spectacular fashion. But right up to the very end, I could have just asked for help. People would have jumped at the chance to save my life. I knew this, and as much as I wanted to get better, nothing could get me to just say the words, I need help. This is what separates us from the normies, as addicts commonly refer to non-addicts in the recovery community. Normies are capable of changing their behavior when they notice that time after time, it ends up resulting in the same negative consequences, especially when those consequences keep getting more and more severe. 
But without exception, a drug addict reaches rock bottom because in the face of devastating consequences, and regardless of how hard he tries to stop, he only increases the frequency and intensity of his drug use. There isn't an addict or alcoholic in any AA or NA meeting who didn't first try everything in their power to stop on their own. None of us want to drink or use drugs anymore. We've been trying to quit for years, but we are powerless. Most of us have been stuck on step one for a long time before we ever went to a meeting or checked into a treatment program. About a year and a half before the climax of my monumental and public self-destruction, there was a brief period of time when I had the tiniest sliver of hope. During a rare moment of clarity and urgency, I hatched a plan that just might have saved me from the storm. I knew I couldn't bring myself to admit my addiction publicly and ask for help, but maybe I could come clean to a therapist I trusted, and they could help rescue me from what was becoming more and more inevitable. Eventually, I decided to reach out to some friends and ask if any of them had recommendations for a good therapist in the neighborhood. I need to find someone capable of working miracles with the human spirit. And I found the right man. But initially, I wasn't able or willing to open the door wide enough to let him all the way in. He couldn't save me from the storm that was brewing. But there's no way in hell that I would have survived it, rebuilt my life, and found purpose and happiness again without Dr. A's support and guidance. Two of my closest friends recommended Dr. A to me. One of those friends had recently gotten through a difficult divorce and a drastic career change with Dr. A's help. The other friend suffered one of the most difficult losses anyone could possibly imagine. His young wife died giving birth to their second child. But with Dr. A's support and gentle guidance, my friend eventually found his footing again. He's now happily married to a wonderful woman and they have one of the strongest, healthiest, and happiest families I've ever known. I figured that if Dr. A could help these two friends of mine through the significant trauma in their lives, that he was the man I was looking for. I finally called and made an appointment to see Dr. A. All I needed to do was show up and be honest. And I did just that, for the most part, during my first appointment, at least. I can recall my first meeting with Dr. A vividly. I remember how the change spilled out of my pockets and into the deep leather couch when I sat down across from him. I remember thinking that he looked kind of like a young Henry Kissinger. But mostly I remember feeling instantly comfortable in Dr. A's presence. He opened up by asking me what prompted me to call his office for an appointment. I was ready for this question. I even practiced my answer in the car before I came in. I told him that my dad had been diagnosed with a brain tumor few months earlier that I had become increasingly worried about my unhealthy coping mechanisms. I told him I was routinely escaping by drinking and using drugs and that I had a history of compulsive gambling that landed me in a 12-step program years earlier. He asked a few follow-up questions about the drinking and drug use and of course I then minimized it but it felt like a good start and I remember being proud of myself for telling the truth even if I was leaving out some of the most important details. I had finally come clean, kind of, and asked for help. We spent the rest of that first meeting talking about my relationship with my dad and my teaching career, my two favorite topics of conversation. When I left Dr. A's office that day, I was skipping steps in the stairwell leading out of the building. 
I felt like this was the beginning of my road back to a healthy and happy life. I've continued to see Dr. A about once a week ever since. Our relationship spans over seven years now, but I would do anything to go back in time to that first year and tell him the whole truth, mostly about my drug use and my growing and very active addiction to cocaine. I have no doubt that Dr. A would have found a way to get me through the doors of rehab well before my brother took me to Minnesota and checked me in. By that time, the majority of the damage had already been done. Looking back, it's hard to imagine how different things would have been for me if I'd gotten help sooner. But it's a firm belief of mine that had I come clean and asked for help before that day, there's no guarantee that my life would be any better than it is today. It's impossible to say. And playing what if over and over in my head never leaves me feeling very good. At the same time, there are a few things that I know wouldn't have happened. And that would have saved an immeasurable amount of anxiety, fear, and sadness for countless people in my life, most notably the people who I love more than anything else. But over time, I'm learning to look back less and to refocus my attention to the present. That's made my life much easier to live, and it's one of the many things I have Dr. A to thank for. There's no doubt in my mind that Dr. A's presence in my life has been a boon greater than almost any other that I've been lucky enough to receive. I'm not sure if he knows this, but even though it's been a mere one hour a week for seven years, Dr. A has been kind of a replacement father figure to me. And keep in mind that my real dad was my hero. Those are some pretty tough loafers to fill. I often imagine my relationship with Dr. A like the one Michael Jordan had with his bodyguard after Jordan's father was murdered on the side of a North Carolina highway. What I like most about that analogy is that I've just compared myself to Michael Jordan, and I thought this might be my only chance to get that in writing. Dr. A probably didn't know he was even in the running for the job as my new part-time father figure, but I have my suspicions that he realizes now that I consider him to be more than just my therapist. And there are several examples, all of which will stay with me forever, of how Dr. A went above and beyond what anyone would expect from their therapist. First of all, he's always known how precarious my financial situation has been. And as soon as I lost my teaching job and health insurance, the treatment I received from Dr. A became an out-of-pocket expense that I couldn't afford. But it never became an issue, and my weekly appointments continued without interruption. Initially, Dr. A lowered his hourly rate for me without even mentioning it. But more important than that, he never once pushed me for a payment, even though sometimes I go almost a year without finding any money for him. On more than one occasion, Dr. A would casually slip me a 20 on my way out of his office and tell me he wanted to treat me to a coffee or something to eat. And I usually cried all the way home when he did this. There were other times when Dr. A would pay me to do work for him even though I was rarely paying him for the very important work he was doing for me. I painted his office, cleaned out the attic, picked weeds, planted flowers, and sometimes checked on the building when he wasn't around. He once hired me to paint the shutters on the windows of his house. He wasn't home on the days when I showed up to paint, but I remember nervously knocking on the door before hugging his wife a little harder than I should have. I'd never met her before, but she felt like part of my family in a I have a distinct memory of the day I helped Dr. A take a broken air conditioner out to the alley after one of our meetings. Both of us were laughing and sweating profusely as we struggled to get the old machine down the stairs and out the door. As we set it down next to the garbage cans and smiled at each other, 
I remember thinking, this is the kind of thing I'd do with my dad if he were still alive. And this is probably how I would feel. Well, I hope you guys found this episode useful in one way or another. If nothing else, maybe it will encourage one of you out there who isn't in therapy to reach out to a friend and ask for a recommendation. Or maybe it will inspire someone else already in therapy to look into the eyes of their therapist and thank them for all that they do. If you did, in fact, learn something today, or if you had a positive overall listening experience, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to have your very own copy of my book, Between the Lines, a memoir about addiction, empathy, and evolution, you can find it on Amazon or anywhere else you buy books. And there's a link in the episode notes for your purchasing convenience, if you so desire. And again, don't forget to click the support the podcast link if you have a few extra bucks in the budget and you're feeling generous today. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book that you'd like to share with me, or if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or just spread the word. Tell a friend if you have one, or if you don't, go tell a whole bunch of strangers, maybe on social media. That seems to be what the cool kids are doing. TikTok it for me, will ya? Most of all, thanks for listening today. In the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.